Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom as we come off of a busy weekend for Ohio State football, both in terms of the NFL draft and in terms of the transfer portal, as Ohio State had six players selected in the 2023 NFL draft. And uh, we will get to recapping that as we continue on in the show here. But going to start off with some transfer portal news for the Buckeyes because Ohio State hosted uh, three transfers for uh, official visits over the weekend. Uh, San Diego State offensive tackle Josh Simmons, uh, former Notre Dame wide receiver uh, turned cornerback Lorenzo Styles, and Ole Miss defensive tackle Tywone Malone. And two of those players have now committed to Ohio State. Josh Simmons and Lorenzo Styles have both officially become Buckeyes, uh, giving Ohio State two more players for its 2023 roster. And certainly, starting with Josh Simmons, we've, we've talked about it all offseason long, that offensive tackle is going to be the position of priority for Ohio State in the transfer portal. And now Ohio State finally has brought in an offensive tackle uh, to at least try to solidify that position. You know, I think looking at Josh Simmons, I don't see someone who I think is going to come in and immediately be a surefire upgrade at offensive tackle, but he is somebody who has a year of starting experience at San Diego State and certainly is going to give them another option in that offensive tackle competition. Yeah, Dan, I'm, uh, someone was asking me in our uh, weekly beat writers chat yesterday on 11 Warriors, you know, is, is could Simmons come in and, and start right away at left tackle and things like that? And I kind of said, you know, I don't really know as, as far as that's concerned, because, um, you know, it's not like this is the biggest named, you know, a super, super high, you know, level prospect here coming in in Josh Simmons, but certainly a guy that could contend, I would think. Uh, particularly at that right tackle spot, Dan, because that's where obviously Ohio State was trying to transition Tegra Shabola in just his second season over from guard to kind of battle it out with Zen Mahalski, Josh Fryer on the left, kind of being the more you know known commodity in that group of tackles trying to solidify those starting jobs. Um, I would certainly think that he would come in and, and contend on the right side right away. Uh, no, Dan? Yeah, no, I, I certainly would agree with that because I think based on what we saw this spring, neither Tegra Shabola nor Zen Mahalski looked ready to be a starter. And so uh, certainly there is a need there to bring in someone else to compete at that spot. But I think it's still going to be a competition. I think Tegra Shabola is still going to have a chance to win that starting right tackle job. I think Zen Mahalski is still going to have a chance to win that starting right tackle job. I don't think this is a matter of Ohio State bringing in Josh Simmons and guaranteeing him a job that he's going to walk right in and be that starting right tackle right away. But I think the door is very much wide open for Josh Simmons to come in and win a starting job because we just didn't see Ivers and Mahalski or Tegra Shabola place their stamp on that job during spring. But Dan, him coming in though, does that, does it, does it change, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously you've done some depth chart projections and, and starting lineup projections and things like that at different stages of kind of the offseason here as the uh, roster kind of takes shape. Does Simmons coming in change if you had to make a new you know lineup projection today? Did, would he be on there as a starter for you? Uh, granted, you know, we haven't actually seen him in Scarlet and Gray yet, of course, 
but just, you know, as of now, if you had to take kind of a little bit of a, a shot in the dark there. Right now, he would be just because what we saw from Mahalski and Shibola this spring did not look like it was going to be good enough. And so right now, I would pencil in Josh Simmons as that starting right tackle. But again, you know, I, I, I just I think that is going to be a real competition. I think Simmons is going to have to show them enough in preseason camp to actually lock down that job. And so I don't, you know, I, it'd be great to sit here and say like Ohio state's offensive tackle problem is solved. I can't say that. I I still think that uh, this is without a doubt, the biggest position of concern going into preseason camp. I still think that there's plenty of uneasiness on both sides about who, you know, who's going to be, you know, whether those tackles are going to be good enough. But I think, you know, realistically, I think Josh Fryer is the starting left tackle because there's really not anybody else out there in the portal who could be an upgrade right now. And and so I think Fryer being that most established tackle on the roster, I think he is pretty solidified now as that starting left tackle. And then I think you know, there's going to be a competition on that right side between Josh Simmons, Tegra Shibola, and Zed Mahalski. And Ohio State really needs one of those guys to step up in August. Yeah, for sure, Dan. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, perhaps fans would feel a little bit better if if Simmons was coming in as a, you know, kind of a former five-star, you know, super highly touted prospect and things of that nature. But certainly um, the the depth is bolstered nonetheless uh, at that position, which is obviously something that is has been such a key priority for Ohio State in moving on to the 2023 season. Uh, but Dan, how about Lorenzo Styles from Notre Dame uh, coming to Ohio State? Something that, you know, when he entered the transfer portal, that was, you know, obviously a potential landing spot for him, given his, you know, Pickerington roots, the, the, the you know, the Styles family name, everything like that. Um, we saw him play, you know, against Ohio State last year. Uh, now, though, uh, turning from from wide receiver to defensive back, Dan, which is always, I think, where Ohio State, you know, wanted him to to play at. And now Ohio State is going to to ha- add him to the roster, not necessarily, Dan, a, a position of need where he's going to come in right away and, uh, you know, necessarily be a factor given the, the depth that, you know, in the secondary this season, uh, but still an, a, certainly an interesting uh, piece to add for Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's one of those moves where, you know, realistically, if, if Lorenzo styles, wasn't the son of a former Ohio state football player and the brother of a current Ohio state football player and, a central Ohio native who's grown up rooting for the Buckeyes his whole life, would Ohio State be bringing him in? I don't, I'm not sure if they would because I think the cornerback position, we, we've we talked about it a lot this spring, that you know, it, we've seen it become much more of a strength for Ohio State. And so I don't think there was an immediate need per se to bring in another corner, but I think this is a matter of, you know, we, we've heard Ryan Day talk so much about when, we, when he brings in transfers, he wants guys who are going to be culture fits for the program. And I think this is an obvious fit with, you know, just the family ties here. I mean, this is a guy who's transferring to Ohio state, not for playing time reasons, not for anything else other than he wants to be a Buckeye. Like that's, that's why he's trans. He wants to be a Buckeye and he wants to be there with his family. And so I, I think for those reasons, it's an obvious move to, to bring him in and Ohio state wanted him out of high school as a corner. Ohio State recruited him out of high school as a corner. The reason why he went to Notre Dame in the first place was because 
Ohio State wasn't recruiting him as a wide receiver and he wanted to play wide receiver. And so this is a guy who has legitimate talent to potentially be an Ohio State caliber corner. Now, I don't think that's going to happen right away. You know, as we've talked about, I, I think Ohio State's got a pretty solid two deep for this year with Denzel Burke, Davison Igbenosin, Jordan Hancock, Jair Brown, whatever order that might be in. You know, I, I don't think Lorenzo is going to come in and compete for a spot on the two deep right away. He hasn't played. He he did practice at corner a few times for Notre Dame this spring, but he hasn't actually played corner since he was in high school. And so I look at this year as probably a redshirt year for Lorenzo. He's got two more years of eligibility. I think unless he earns a big role on special teams, the, the, the thing that would probably make most sense for all parties would be for him to play in four games this year, take a redshirt, and then he's still got two years of eligibility left to potentially play a bigger role at corner or or even that nickel safety spot in the future. And so, you know, I think this is a, you know, this is not a, when we talk about Josh Simmons, we're talking about a move to bolster the roster right now. When we talk about Lorenzo Styles, I think you're talking more of a, a two, two to three year plan here about what he could be in 2024 and 2025 versus what he's going to be right now. But you know, it does it does bolster the depth at corner. Uh, you know, Ohio State had uh, seven scholarship corners on the roster. Ryan Day has said they typically want eight, and so bringing in Lorenzo uh, does you know help solidify that back end depth at the position. Now, it, there is still some question about whether Lorenzo is going to actually be on scholarship at Ohio State. You know, my understanding is that's kind of still to be determined based on how the scholarship count plays out. You know, as of right now, if you include Lorenzo Styles, Ohio State would be at 87 scholarships. They'd be at 86 without him. They obviously need to get to 85 and they're still pursuing more transfers. We mentioned uh, Tywon Malone, the Ole Miss defensive tackle who visited this past weekend. They're also set to host UAB safety Jalen Key on a visit next week. So Ohio State potentially isn't done adding to this roster, and it still needs to get down to 85. And so there is some flexibility there with Lorenzo Styles in terms of if they're over 85, you know, he may he may start his career as a walk-on this year. But to to be clear with that, Ohio State views him as a scholarship level player. So this isn't a guy who's coming in just to be a back of a roster player for three years. Ohio State is bringing him in as somebody they view as a scholarship level player and somebody who they believe can contribute in the secondary over the next three years. But it it is possible that he would pay his own way to start his Ohio State career so that Ohio State is able to meet that 85 man limit. Yeah. And Dan, uh, you know, obviously there's a bit of a numbers crunch there. Uh, you know, we've seen Ohio State deal with this in years past too, though, uh, the, the last couple of years here. But I will say that, you know, even with the, 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 the portal window being closed and whatnot, like guys can still transfer out of the program. It's just that they would then be ineligible to play immediately for the next season. Right. I mean, some people were like asking me like, Oh, how, how would they even possibly get down like beyond like a medical retirement or something like that. But like you can still enter the transfer portal. It's just that you then can't immediately play the next season. Yeah. I think, you know, there's some flexibility for, for graduate transfers, but you know, based on what I've heard, I mean, I wouldn't expect anyone else to transfer out to get them down to 85. I think what's more likely is 
there being medical hardship situations um, where, you know, maybe there's a couple players who currently count against that scholarship limit that maybe won't be playing football this year. Um, you know, for example, Avery Henry, I, I don't think anything has been finalized there, but obviously right now, you know, he's battling cancer. Uh, and so, you know, they might be able to get a waiver for Avery to where he would still be on scholarship at Ohio State, but they might be able to get a waiver where he wouldn't count against the 85 this year because he wouldn't be able to play football. Um, there could be other situations. I don't, I don't know about any other specific names, but that has been kind of a word is that Ohio State is expecting to get down to 85 without additional transfers at this point. And so there are seemingly, you know, a couple things in the works there behind the scenes that are going to get them down to that number. And I, I would say like, realistically, like if you're a fan, like, I don't really think there's much reason to worry about this. Like, I know it's a question that comes up and it's something that we, we talk about every year because it's the middle of the off season and it's, you know, something we're talking about, you know, does that, that numbers crunch, but I mean, Ohio state is still pursuing more transfers. So it's not as if it's not as if the roster as it is currently constructed is preventing Ohio state from going out and pursuing players they think can help them this year. And so I think unless that was the case, then I think as a fan, there's really not a lot of reason to worry about it because the numbers are going to work themselves out. Like Ohio State has a plan clearly for how it's going to work out, you know, and it's it's not, you know, it's not as if like, you know, there's some like they're going to be over 85 and there's some penalty involved or something. It's like they're, they're, they're going to get there because they have to get there, but they, they clearly have a plan for it. And so I think as a fan, there's really not a, there's really not a whole lot of reason to, to worry about it. You know, other than, you know, obviously there's that possibility of like, okay, like, you know, is there going to be some attrition that gets them down to 85, but, but realistically, we're not talking about Ohio state losing any notable players at this point. If, if that was going to happen, it would have happened over the last couple of weeks. And so the fact that Ohio state got through the transfer window without losing anybody who was projected to contribute this season and has been able to add some pieces through the transfer portal and could potentially still add more would indicate that Ohio state is sitting in a good spot right now in terms of how it's managing its roster. Yeah, Dan, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of those players that Ohio State is still pursuing, still could bring in from the transfer portal. Uh, we did mention him, what was it probably on last week's podcast, Dan, uh, Ole Miss defensive tackle, Tywone Malone, uh, who, who visited uh, over the weekend here. Um, this is going to, a, a guy that would give Ohio State a little bit more depth at that tackle position, uh, given that it's kind of a, a three-headed monster there with Tyleek Williams, uh, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton. Um, usually, you know, Larry Johnson's got maybe a, another couple of names uh, in terms of guys with a little bit more experience or, or, or you know, time spent in the program um, than a guy like a Hero Canoe or something like that. So, you know, it it's, would make sense numbers-wise for them to bring in um, a guy like that. And then UAB safety, Jalen Key, Dan, as well, who included Ohio State in his top six over the weekend, plans to visit Ohio State uh, next week. Uh, what are you hearing or feeling 
thinking, et cetera, about, you know, both of these guys and the likelihood that they actually end up, you know, in a Buckeye uniform uh, this upcoming season? Yeah. I mean, to start with Malone, you know, from what I've heard, his visit went well over the weekend and Ohio State feels pretty good about its chances of landing him. Now, at the same time, and again, we, we say it every week, something's going to happen by the time this publishes as we sit here and record on Tuesday afternoon. But as, as of the time we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, he has not committed yet. And so, uh, you know, if he hasn't committed yet, then, you know, it is certainly, you know, nothing is guaranteed there. And I know, you know, there are some people out there who aren't as confident that he's going to end up at Ohio State. And so uh, we're going to see ultimately how that plays out. But from what I've heard, Ohio State thinks the visit went well and feels good about its chances of landing Tywon Malone. Uh, regarding Jalen Key, uh, that one, I, to be honest, I was kind of surprised when I heard that Ohio State was actually going to pursue him and host him for a visit because Ohio State's already added three transfer defensive backs this offseason between Davis and Igbenosin, Jihad Carter, and Lorenzo Styles now. And so the idea that they'd be adding a potential fourth transfer defensive back surprises me because we've talked about it. Ohio State has a lot of safeties. You know, we, you know, Leif and Ransom, Josh Proctor, Cam Martinez look like the potential starters right now. You know, Jihad Carter, Sonny Styles. Kai Stokes, those are all guys, you know, we think could contribute at that position. So I'm a little surprised to hear that they are looking at a safety who is a six-year senior, because if they were going to bring him in, that would presumably mean they'd expect him to play a big role this year since he's a six-year senior and he has one year left of eligibility. So, I mean, what that does tell me is that Ohio State, even though it seems like they have quite a few guys who could play at safety, tells me they're not fully comfortable with what they have at safety right now. So that's that's really the biggest thing I take away from it in terms of whether they'll land him. I'm I, I'm not sure on that. You know, I know that he's already visited Alabama. I know that he's a Tallahassee, Florida native, and he's going to be visiting Florida State. And so I, I don't know, you know, what Ohio State's chances are there, but they are going to host him for a visit. And if you're hosting a guy for an official visit, you've got a chance. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that that plays out. You know, I haven't heard of any other uh, defensive backs that they're targeting right now, but it is definitely interesting to me that Ohio State is still looking at adding potentially another defensive back when they've already added Freeve this offseason. Yeah, that is a little bit of a, a strange one there, Dan. Ohio State now uh, having already added seven transfers, uh, potentially more, and and I know you know, months ago or however long ago it was, we were already talking about the fact that Ohio State had had added more than ever before or, you know, in, in this modern era here and, and stuff like that. So uh, certainly a year for the books just goes to show, you know, how, how much things have changed in, you know, quick succession here over the last couple of years with the proliferation of the transfer portal and things like that. Yeah. And Ryan Day did say, I, th- I think it was in December when he was asked about it, he said, you know, we could add three transfers. We could add five transfers. We could add 10 transfers. It just depends on how now this all plays out. And I think realistically, I think you and I and probably most Ohio State fans were skeptical that it would ever get close to 10, but it's actually getting close to 10 at this point. And so, like you said, I, I think that speaks to how college football is changing. And I think, you know, re- realistically, you know, o- Ohio State has realized we have to be more active in the transfer portal than we've been in the past. It, in order to remain 
at this elite level of competition. And so, you know, I think we've certainly seen Ohio State become more aggressive in the transfer portal this year, especially like we just talked about with a guy like Jalen Key. I mean, again, they don't they don't even they don't appear to have a major need at safety, and yet they're still looking at a safety right now. And so I think that shows you that the mindset at Ohio State has changed a little bit. I I think they're still being selective. I think they're still, you know, only they're they're, they're not going to reach for players they don't think are Ohio State caliber players. But I I do think we are seeing a more aggressive approach in terms of if if this guy can help us and we think he's a fit, we we're not going to shy away from going after these guys, even if we feel pretty good about the guys we already have. Dan, you mentioned before that Ohio State, you know, hasn't lost anybody super major, you know, to the transfer portal in this post spring window here, but, you know, still some notable names leaving the program. Um, of course, you know, as we, we like to joke about, as soon as, the, as we finish recording the podcast, news always seems to break on Tuesdays as we record. That did end up happening last week as Caleb Burton entered the transfer portal. Uh, Dan, that was kind of one that uh, I think a lot of people kind of saw coming for, from, for a long time just because he I don't think he played a, a single snap last season as a true freshman, if I'm not mistaken, Dan. Um, despite, you know, coming in as a, as a four-star prospect, a, a pretty heralded, you know, wide, wide receiver recruit, just the, all the talent at wide receiver for the Buckeyes, him, you know, not getting off to a super fast start there, um, always kind of seemed like a name that people were, you know, maybe expecting to eventually pursue other options. Um, and then Caleb Brown as well, Dan, answering the, the transfer portal on Sunday. So two receivers from that second year class, which from early this offseason, we were already talking about you know, what's going to happen with guys from that group, because there's so much talent, uh, you know, not only ahead of them, but coming in in terms of the freshmen, the Carnell Tates of the world with with the guys like, you know, Brandon Innes, not even in the program yet uh, with the potential to come in and, and kind of lap those guys right away. So uh, we finally ended up seeing a couple of those guys from that second year wide receiver group actually enter the transfer portal. Yeah, I'm not surprised that we've already seen some attrition from that second year receiver class. I think it was inevitable because, I mean, we talked about it. I mean, earlier this spring, I mean, Ryan Day basically issued a public challenge to those guys saying, you know, you know, those guys are already getting pushed by the first years and they got to step up their game. And realistically, I think coming out of spring, like, I mean, Carnell Tate has already had already surpassed all those guys. I think Noah Rogers is on his way to potentially doing that. And I think Brandon Ennis, when he arrives this summer, is going to very quickly push to do that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, spe- specifically Caleb Burton, um, you know, it just seemed like, you know, he, he had dealt with some injuries and it, it seemed like he was kind of lost in a shuffle there um, where it was, it was hard to kind of see where he was going to factor in in the future. And so, you know, I think uh, for him, you know, honestly, I think he's making the right move to, to go somewhere else where, you know, he's a talented guy. He's going to have a chance to play somewhere else. I, I don't know if that opportunity was was going to come at Ohio State anytime soon. And so I think, you know, he's he, he's making a smart decision for himself to to, to move on. Uh, Caleb Brown was a little bit more surprising to me because, you know, and I did my depth chart projection uh, last week. You know, he was the only one of the second year receivers that I actually had on the free deep at receiver. And I viewed him as a guy who I thought, you know, probably not this year, because Emeka, Buka, and Xavier Johnson are leading that receiver chart at the slot. 
but I, I did feel like he was a guy who had potential uh, in the future, uh, both as a slot receiver as well as as a punt and kick returner. I thought he was a guy who could potentially contribute in the, in the return game. And when we talked to him this spring, you know, he said, you know, that's my goal. I want to, you know, is lock down those return jobs. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen because he made the decision to go somewhere else and uh, pursue, you know, more immediate playing time. Uh, but you know his did surprise me a little bit more because I did feel like he had a better chance, you know, next year and beyond to con- contribute at that receiver position. But you know, I also think you know you mentioned Brandon Innes. You know, it's, it sounds like he's probably going to start his career out in the slot, and so I think Brandon Innes is a guy who very easily could emerge as that starting slot receiver in 2024, and you know that potentially leaves Caleb Brown without a big role again. And so, you know, I, I think he, you know, probably kind of saw that writing on the wall and said, you know what, I'm, I'm better off just going somewhere else where I have a chance to compete for playing time right now. And, you know, and I, I I will, I will say this, like, I just got to be honest. If I was an H back kind of receiver, I would not come to Ohio state because if you just look at the recent history of guys like him, whether it be Caleb Brown, Mookie Cooper, Jalen Gill, Demario McCall, those kind of players just have not been able to find roles at Ohio State. Obviously, we saw it with guys like Curtis Samuel back in the Urban Meyer era, but it just seems like under Brian Hartline, the offense has gone in a different direction. Now, I do think Xavier Johnson could play some of that role this year, so that might change. If, If Xavier Johnson has a big year, that might become a bigger part of the offense again. And then, you know, maybe there is more of a path for those guys in the future. But you just look at the recent track record for those guys who are those kind of receiver, running back, hybrid kind of players. They really they really haven't, you know, had any success finding roles at, o- at Ohio State. And so, you know, I mean, some of, some of that is just a product of how loaded that wide receiver room has become and the running back room being really strong too. And so there just isn't as much of a need for those kind of guys, but that is a trend that's impossible to ignore at this point that all those guys we've seen who have come in in that kind of mold in recent years, just, just haven't been able to carve out a role at Ohio state. Yeah. Dan, I I do think that Caleb Brown, like had a, had a decent spring though. Like I thought there was certain moments he had in the scrimmages we saw and, and catches he made and stuff where I was like, yeah, like he, he had some 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 bright moments for sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely with you that on that one being a little more surprising than Burton. Uh, but Dan, uh, Ben Chrisman, another guy that entered the transfer portal for Ohio State, a guy that was repping like the with the, the second team offensive line unit, especially in the spring game, uh, got a lot of reps in the spring game. Actually, when I went back and kind of checked that writing his his uh, transfer portal entry piece the other day. Um, but, you know, not. Didn't figure to be a whole lot of opportunities for him this season with guys like Donovan Jackson and, and Matt Jones uh, locking down those guard spots. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Ben Chrisman had a good spring. I, I thought Ben Chrisman was somebody who was going to have a chance if he stuck around for next year to potentially be a starting guard in 2024 with you know Donovan Jackson being a guy who's a candidate to potentially leave for the NFL after three years, but you know, obviously I think he decided that he wanted to have a chance to, you know, go compete for playing time somewhere right now. And so, you know, those are, you know, the kind of moves that are, are, are going to happen. 
Um, you know, it's it's certainly you know when you I think when you project out to this year, it's not a huge loss because you know I think Enoch Vamahi was probably going to be that next man up at guard anyway. But I do think when you look to the future, you know, he he is a guy who was potentially one of those next men up. So I do think for the future at guard, you know, he's somebody that you would have liked uh, to keep in the fold. And it does, for the immediate term too, make you look at, okay, you know, your guard at depth behind Enoch Vamahi is a little bit suspect. So does that mean potentially moving someone around? You know, does a Vic Cutler potentially move out to guard because I think he was better as a blocker than he was as a snapper during the spring. So with Jacob James coming back with Joshua Padilla also developing at that position, could you maybe move a Vic Cutler out to guard and, and bolster your depth there? Could a Tegra Shabola potentially move back inside to guard now that you have Josh Simmons? Cause I think some people think Tegra Shabola's best future might be at guard. So maybe he moves back inside and maybe he's a future starter at guard they have some time to figure that out that's something they'll kind of work through in in the summer um and in and in preseason camp but i i do think out of you know all these transfers who left and again there's only only four transfers out this spring those being caleb brown caleb burton ben chrisman and jake seibert uh not not much attrition this spring and i and i give Ryan Day, as i have in the past i give ryan day credit for that he has done a good job of limiting attrition and it at a time when transfers are more commonplace than ever, Ryan Day has done a very good job of not having a ton of attrition in his program. I mean, I, I, I'll i say this without naming names. Like, I, I heard of at least one bigger name that was considering entering the transfer portal and ultimately did not do so because Ohio State convinced him to stay. And so o- Ohio State has done a good job of – keeping keeping players in the fold creating a program that players want to play at and you know as a result you come out of a you come out of a transfer portal really they didn't in this spring window they really didn't lose anybody who was projected to contribute this year i i would say out of those four losses i think chrisman is probably the biggest loss just in the sense that they don't have as much depth on the offensive line. Like at receiver, they have so much depth. You 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 knew they were going to ultimately lose some guys out of that room just because there was just no way that everybody was going to be able to play in that room. I think at offensive line, the depth is a little bit more questionable. And so I do think that losing a guy like Chrisman, who was projected to be on your two deep, uh, you know, that does hurt. But, you know, again, there's there's potential ways around that where that means you know, moving a Victor Cutler to guard, moving a Tegra Shabolar to guard, or maybe a freshman like Austin Cyril just steps up and locks down a spot on that two deep right away. Dan, let's talk about some players that Ohio State is losing, but that is because they're starting NFL careers. You are fresh off of your trip to Kansas City. Your first time at the draft ever, Dan, is that correct? Yeah, it was my first time ever being there in person. It was uh, it was an adventure, uh, but it was it was fun. It was it was cool to see it. Uh, the, the crowds out there in Kansas city were great. Um, you know, I was, I, I did make sure to kind of go out in the crowd a little bit before the draft started and just kind of check out the scene. And, uh, it was a really cool scene out there in Kansas city. So, uh, definitely a cool experience to get to be there and get to see, uh, CJ Stroud, Paris Johnson Jr. And Jackson Smith and Jigba all get drafted in person. Did you attend the fallout boy, uh, concert? 
I did not. I did not. I, I could hear it because uh, we were at like the hotel adjacent to the stage. That was where the workroom was. So like you could look out the window and you could see it and you could hear it. But I was working, so I did not actually go to the concert. Fair enough, Dan. But uh, you did get to see, as you said, um, some big things happen for several Buckeyes, particularly in that first round, Dan, where three Buckeyes went in the top 20. Uh, you know, I did have a, a piece in, in case those those guys all went in the top 15. I uh, ended up seeing Jackson Smith and Jigba go. You know, I don't it, it might be too much to call it, a, you know, a slide, but just, you know, maybe a few picks after uh, where we were discussing he might end up um, him, uh, you know, JSN going to the Seattle Seahawks at number 20. Paris Johnson Jr. going to the Arizona Cardinals at number six overall, becoming the highest drafted offensive lineman for Ohio State since Orlando Pace. And C.J. Stroud starting off the night uh, as the number two overall pick. Plenty of drama there, Dan, and that's where you know we should kind of start with the the draft conversation. I think because uh, going into the night, you know, there there was all that talk of the S two test and the you know all of the the drama surrounding C.J. Stroud and the lead up and how that was going to potentially you know, cost him a couple spots in the draft order. But, uh, you know, right, you know, before the draft started, we were kind of throwing the the betting odds for the draft into our Slack channel for 11 Warriors. And suddenly CJ Stroud was becoming this overwhelming favorite to uh, be, be drafted number two overall by the Texans. And uh, suddenly it seemed like, oh, wow, they, they actually are going to end up going there, despite the fact that we had kind of heard leading up to the draft that they were not all that sold on CJ Stroud anymore. Yeah, it's a good reminder of don't believe everything you hear leading up to the draft, right? There's always all kinds of I mean, I mean there was there was a rumor on Reddit the day before the draft that Will Levis was going to go number 1 overall and he went in the second round. So, it's a good reminder of just don't believe everything you hear before the draft and for those of us who do mock drafts, it's always kind of trying to sift through the rumors and digest what's true and and what's not and and I'll I'll admit I I I got fooled as many people did on CJ Stroud because there was just so much smoke in that week leading up to the draft that the Texans weren't sold on Stroud that I took the bait. I, I bought it, but ultimately they did what they should have done all along, which is draft CJ Stroud at the number two overall pick. I think it was the obvious move all along. They needed a quarterback. He was clearly one of the two best quarterbacks in the draft. And so they did you know, what they should have done all along. And then, you know, obviously the interesting variable was then they immediately traded back up to the number three pick to draft Will Anderson, who was the player that many people thought they were going to take over CJ Stroud at number two. And so I do think if you just connect the dots, I, I think that does potentially explain some of the chatter that came out before the draft, because I, I think the Texans maybe wanted to make people think that CJ Stroud was going to fall to try to dissuade teams from trading up for CJ Stroud so that they would have a better chance of getting both CJ Stroud and Will Anderson. And then I think on draft night, it became clear if they didn't take CJ Stroud at number two, the Tennessee Titans were going to trade up to number three and take CJ Stroud. And so ultimately, they were able to play it as we take CJ Stroud at number two, then nobody wants to trade up to number three and we trade up to number three and get the other guy we really want and Will Anderson. And so they ultimately got the two players they want. They ultimately 
did a great job of fooling people and keeping people off the scent of what they were going to do. And I think, I think the reason why so many of us kind of fell for the bait that they weren't going to take CJ Stroud was because the thought was, why would they need to smoke screen the rest of the league? If, if we knew Bryce Young was going number one, why would they need to smoke screen the rest of the league into who they were going to take at number two? Well, the reason why they were needed to smoke screen the rest of the league is because they wanted to get two guys and they were planning to trade up. And so that was kind of a reason to disguise their intentions. And I'm not directly accusing them of leaking anything specific. I don't know where any of those leaks came from in terms of the S2 or some of the other rumors that were out there. But I do think just in terms of the idea that the Texans weren't going to take Stroud, certainly I think that was something that they probably tried to get out there because they didn't want teams to be on to what they were doing in terms of drafting both Stroud and Will Anderson. Dan, it was also, I think, pretty cool. There was a couple you know, moments that, that Ohio State fans uh, would look at and, and either enjoyed or, or, or felt something for CJ after he got drafted there at number two overall. Obviously, I think, uh, you know, on, on our own account, the 11 Warriors Twitter account, we posted out him uh, getting emotional on draft night, of course, when he figured out he was going to, you know, have his dream come true there. Um, I was kind of thinking beforehand, too, because CJ, he just he wears his emotions on his sleeves. I was like, I could definitely see CJ like being the and, and absolutely well deserved and, and well earned for him. Um, but I kind of figured that he might have a kind of a moment like that. I also thought it was pretty amusing in his uh, press conference, which um, I, I believe was pretty delayed, as you described it, Dan, from when he actually got drafted to, uh, you know, when he when he came in for the press conference with Will Anderson. Uh, but one of the the clips that made the rounds from that was, of course, him, uh, CJ, trying to get the the Texans to potentially find a way to to get back in the first round to to draft Jackson Smith and Jigba and uh kind of saying like well he he said uh he would what cut his his left leg off if they found a way to get JSN you know on the same team as him uh but it was just funny because Will Anderson was sitting right there and he's like oh man if they if they would have came up and, and traded to get Jackson right after me like I would have loved that but no, I like I, I love Will too. But it was kind of a little bit of a an, an f u to Will Anderson. But I think uh, he he understood based on CJ and Jackson's uh, relationship and everything like that. But that was just a a vintage CJ moment uh, for me because you know he he always he never shies away from uh, saying what's on his mind. Yeah, you know I was I was looking at you know Twitter on Friday when he was doing his. Uh press conference and I was seeing a lot of Houston fans were like, man, like CJ's doing awesome in this press conference. And I'm like, yes, like I love seeing that because like I've seen so many people like complain about CJ Stroud's press conferences over a year. And I've said it over and over again. No, don't complain about it. This is a good thing. The guy has personality. The guy is candid. The guy lets us in to see how we feel, which we don't often see. I mean, Quite honestly, I, I know some of us were talking about it after the spring game, but like the two potential quarterbacks for Ohio State this year seem a lot more buttoned up. And so we're probably going to get less of those candid moments from whoever the starting quarterback ends up being. So I love the fact that like CJ is who he is and he hasn't stopped being who he is. And I think that's something that 
I think is a very good thing for him going into the NFL. And you go into this even, I mean, the good thing for him is he's already played on a stage that's just pretty much just as big as the one he's on now. So that's the good thing for him is it's like he, he actually is going to have less pressure on him this year than he did the past two years because the past two years he's playing for his team where he's expected to win every game. And if he doesn't, you have uninformed people out there saying he's an awful quarterback. Now he's going to a team that's expected to be one of the worst in the NFL. And I know he said, you know, he, he thinks they can turn the thing around right away, but realistically it's probably going to take some time for Houston to, to rebuild. And so he's not going into a situation now where he's going to be expected to win every game. They, he just needs to show that he can be the future of that franchise. He just needs to show t- consistent development in his rookie year and, and show the signs of being somebody who can be a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL. And so I think the pressure on him is actually lower, but I think the fact that he just is who he is and he's, he hasn't tried to change who he is to fit a certain mold. I think that's something that's going to serve him well going into the NFL, just being comfortable with who he is and, and not trying to be something he isn't. Yeah, for sure, Dan. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talked even a little bit about the fact that Paris Johnson might have ended up being drafted before CJ Stroud, you know, depending on how things kind of shuffled around and everything like that uh, didn't happen that way. But the team that we were talking about is potentially drafting uh, Johnson at, at potentially number three overall. The Arizona Cardinals ended up, you know, trading down and trading back up to get uh, Paris Johnson with that number six overall pick. Uh, so only four spots after Stroud. Um, of course, you know, so certain mocks had had Paris Johnson going a little bit later than that, maybe, you know, or in the 15 range, uh, you know, in, in that kind of territory. Uh, but he ends up going. Uh, number six overall, Dan, and like we said earlier, the the highest drafted offensive lineman for for Ohio State since Orlando Pace, and making his story even more interesting is the fact that in 1999, his father Paris Johnson, uh, the original Paris Johnson, as as Paris was saying in his uh, press conference after being picked, uh, got drafted by the Cardinals, the very same organization, not nearly as high in the draft. Uh, his dad was a fifth round pick and never really uh, hung around. I think he he ended up hanging on for like one year or something like that. And, uh, but, but didn't really make, uh, you know, a huge splash in the NFL, obviously. Um, and Paris Johnson jr. Talked a lot about how he wants to finish what his dad started or finish what his dad couldn't with the Cardinals. Um, so that really just a, a, a really cool full circle moment, especially, um, you know, also for his mom as well, who was, you know, with his dad on, on, on draft night, uh, 24 years ago, um, just adds to Paris Johnson's, story and you know it's something that that he was talking about envisioning since he was five years old uh and always wanting to follow follow in his father's footsteps and now he's kind of literally doing that because he's going to play for the, the same team the draft is dead yeah you could tell that means something to him and i think there's a sense of you know actually you know wanting to almost prove a point because he didn't get into all the details but he did save it you know he and his father don't have a relationship anymore. Um, and so I think there's a sense of he, he wants to almost kind of rewrite that legacy a little bit and, and, and to be able to do it with the same team that drafted his dad, I think is something that's uh, really meaningful to him. And so, you know, just going to be that, you know, extra source of motivation for him as he starts his NFL career. 
then moving on to Jackson Smith and Jigba as well. Uh, like we said, a little bit of a slide there ends up going to the Seahawks though, in a really a good situation for him because uh, Geno Smith last year, uh, taking over the reins at quarterback ended up being the, the comeback player of the year, the most improved player of the year uh, per the, uh, the football um, writers of America. Uh, and you also have two, you know, really stellar wideouts there as well in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who could create, you know, a, a really excellent trio with Jackson Smith and Jigba coming in. And I know Jackson said too, in his, his press conference that, you know, he'd be willing to play outside or inside, depending on kind of what they want to do with Lockett and things like that. Uh, and he believes that that he can be successful uh, playing either position there. Yeah, I mean, if if Jackson becomes the player that we think he can be, I mean, Seattle might have the best receiving trio in the NFL. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were both a thousand yard receivers last year, and you know, I was thinking about it because you know, there was a part of me that almost didn't want to see him go to Seattle because I think he's somebody who I think is capable of potentially being a number one receiver right away, just like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were uh, a year ago. And, you know, I, you, you go into Seattle and he's probably going to be the number three guy to start out. But we also said the same thing in 2021, that he was going to be the number three receiver behind Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And he ended up breaking the school records for receptions and receiving yards. So he might start out as the free number free receiver. That doesn't mean he's going to stay the number free receiver for long. If, if he can play the same kind of way he played at Ohio state. So, you know, like you said, I mean, it's, it's going to help him in the sense that they've already got two great receivers that defenses have to account for. And so, you know, he's probably not going to see a lot of double teams in year one. You know, he, you know, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to make plays. And, and I certainly think that, you know, he, he's a guy that's going to go in and he's going to make, an immediate impact. And so I think, you know, if you're Geno Smith, you, you feel pretty good about what you've got at receiver right now, because I, I think, you know, just adding Jackson to what they already have there uh, could make that a very electric passing offense. Dan, you mentioned uh, making an immediate impact. Which of those three do you feel like makes the, the biggest impact as a rookie? Yeah. I mean, obviously I think, you know, CJ is kind of the obvious answer, just being the quarterback. But if we're just going to say like, you know, who objectively just has the best rookie year, I would probably go with Jackson. I, I mean, I, I think Jackson's a guy who I think is going to be ready to make a big impact from day one. And, you know, I think he's going into a good spot there again, where, you know, he he's going to be, he's going to have guys to compliment him. The whole load's not going to be on his shoulders, but I, I think he's going to quickly prove to be a lot more than just a number three receiver. Dan, on day two of the draft, uh, I think a lot of us were expecting maybe three Buckeyes to go, uh, you know, in rounds two and three as well to get Ohio State to six going into the final day. Didn't end up being the case, though. Only Zach Harrison went uh, on that Friday of the draft, uh, leaving Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler to slide to the final day and really the biggest surprise of the draft. Uh, Dewan ended up going. Uh, well, they both ended up going to the to the Browns. Uh, J- Juwan Jones in round four, Luke Whipler all the way to round six, Dan, after, you know, getting some mocks as a, as a second round selection. So uh, both pretty significant slides for them. Uh, what were your, your thoughts as as those slides were taking place and which of those surprised you more uh, during the draft? Yeah, I mean, they definitely both surprised me. I mean, there were some people that thought Dewan Jones was going to be a first round pick. I thought he would go, you know, in the first half of a second round. So I I did not expect that but I'm almost more surprised by Luke Whipler to be honest because you know 
one of the things that you heard about Dewan Jones, and we started to hear this a little bit before the draft, and we've heard it more after the draft, that you know, I think some of what happened in the pre-draft process hurt Dewan Jones. You know, him deciding not to work out at Pro Day. In fact, that he weighed in at 375 pounds, uh, which is, you know, NFL teams wanted to see him weigh in lighter. I, I think there's I think there's some concerns there from NFL teams about, you know, just is he fully all in on being the best possible NFL player he can be, um, you know, and I know, I mean, I, you know, again, I mean, I think, you know, I think he showed of his play at Ohio state that he worked really hard to improve. And I think, you know, you know, he did that. And I think he's somebody who has a ton of potential in the NFL. And I think, I mean, the, the, the one thing I would say about DeWan is, you know, I heard some people use that, you know, loose catch all, character concerns and i don't think that's a fair term at all to use of dewan jones because i think dewan dewan jones is a, a very nice guy a very pleasant guy somebody who i've never heard a bad word about in terms of a guy he is off the field if, if anything you know one of probably the the more easygoing better guys to be around on the ohio state football team the last several years and so i i don't like seeing people use the catch-all character concerns there with Dewan Jones because I think that's totally unfair to him. Uh, but I, I think it's more of teams just questioning, is he going to do everything he needs to do to maximize his talent and be able to be a starting offensive tackle in the NFL? And ultimately, now he's got to prove it. You know, he's got to prove it. You know, ho- you know, falling to the fourth round, I imagine that's going to put an extra chip on his shoulder, and now he's got to go prove it that you know he 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 is going to do all the things he needs to do and he's going to take advantage of that immense talent and he can be a great offensive tackle in the NFL. Whipler's fall surprises me a little bit more though because there didn't really seem to be any apparent reason for it. You know, I think pretty much everybody thought he was a third, maybe fourth round guy going into the draft and for him to slide down to the 6, I haven't heard of any, you know, concerns there in terms of injuries or anything with him. You know, I, I just kind of felt going into the draft like he was a really like rock solid, like middle round guy. So to see him fall to the sixth round, to see some of the players, uh, interior offensive linemen that went ahead of him, I was I was really surprised. You know, obviously NFL scouts just weren't as impressed as, you know, maybe, you know, media draft analysts were uh, by his film. But, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, Luke Whipler was safely going to come off the board by the end of the fourth round, and he ended up falling all the way into the sixth. Yeah, Dan, and I, I know, you know, he, he caught some flack maybe from the fan base and things like that of people saying, you know, looking in, in hindsight and saying, oh, he should have stayed in school and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to say that. But, you know, like you said, a, a lot of the mock drafts had him as a third round pick. I'm, I'm sure he was hearing, you know, those those kind of grades. And if you know, he thought he was going to, to be that, then you can't see into the future and know that you're going to end up falling that much, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, lots of discourse about that over the weekend. And, you know, a couple of things I wonder is, first first thing I want to say, this, this is a pet peeve of mine. And I saw a lot of tweets about it over the weekend of, Whipler, whoever advised Luke Whipler should be fired. And, for, well, first of all, very clear, when we talked to Ryan Day about Luke Whipler going pro, that Ryan Day was not advising Luke Whipler to go pro. It was very clear that Ryan Day was caught off guard by his decision and that Ryan Day, and I would assume Justin Fry, thought that he should have come back to school for another year. So 
if he was advised by someone to go pro, it wasn't the Ohio State coaches. Secondly, Luke Wilford's an adult. He's a grown man. The, the, these are guys making decisions for their future. So to immediately just shift the blame to these so-called imaginary advisors, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. I mean, he, he made the decision that he thought was best for his future. We asked him about it. He said he felt like that was the decision that made the most sense for him. And so now he's got he's to live with that decision. You know, now he, he's got to make the best of where he was drafted and and try to you know make the Browns roster and try to carve out a career in the NFL you know that's that's the way it goes like you know he's he's an adult now and when you know you know there's already an adult but when you make that jump from you're a college football player to you're an NFL player you really become an adult and so you know to me he made that decision and and that's that you know he's got to move forward to that decision but shifting you know shifting the blame to some "Quote unquote advisor that may or may not exist." I, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of that because it, it, it was his decision and and let's let's give these guys more respect than to assume that somebody's making these decisions for them. They're they're adults. They they can make their own decisions. And Luke Whipler ultimately decided that going to the NFL was best for him. I would assume that he thought he was going to go earlier than he did, but nonetheless, that decision has been made. He he's playing in the NFL now. And I also just think in general, that narrative of returning to school, you know, I think college football fans love that narrative because it's like you want all the guys to come back and play as many years as possible for your team. But the thing that annoys me about that narrative is I think there's this automatic assumption that if a guy comes back to school, his draft stock is going to improve. And and that's often not the case. I mean, if you, if you just look at Ohio State in recent years, like there are examples of it happening. Like the two that come to mind would be Damon Arnett, who he was thinking about going pro, probably would have been a late round pick, comes back for another year and ends up becoming a first rounder. Uh, Terry McLaurin would be another example of that. He thought about going pro. I'm not sure he even would have been drafted. Comes back, becomes a third round pick. Now he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. So there absolutely are examples of guys coming back to school and taking advantage of it and improving their draft stock. And I think it's totally fair to say that Luke Whipler probably should have done that. It probably would have helped him. But I would also point out that like that's not always the case. Like two examples that come to mind for me would be Thayer Munford and Haskell Garrett, who surprised some people when both of them decided to come back and use their extra year of eligibility. And you know, Thayer Mun I you know, I I was of the mind that had both those guys entered the draft after the 2020 season that both of them, you know, would have been drafted and they, they come back for another year. Fair ends up going and it's, just, you know, fair gets moved to guard and he ends up going in the seventh round. Haskell Garrett ends up going undrafted and really didn't. I, I think he was with the Titans for a couple of weeks and that was it. And so, Coming back to school for another year, and that's that's not me trying to dissuade anybody from coming back to school. It's it's just laying out the reality there that coming back to school is not this automatic boost of your draft stock. Like sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And got the reason guys make decisions to go pro vary from person to person. And so to say, you know, obviously I'm sure it was a very disappointing weekend for Luke Whipler. 
but I just, I don't like some of the criticism that comes out sometimes of guys where attacking guys for making this decision to go pro because ultimately it's a personal decision. They have to make the decision that's best for them. Sometimes that decision works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but the reality is that decision has now been made. I'm sure Ohio state would love it if he had made the other decision because we've talked about the offensive line being a concern. They'd love if Dewan Jones would have used his extra year of eligibility and come back too. if they had Luke Whipler and Dewan Jones, Ohio state's offensive line would look a lot better for next year. But I, I think, you know, the reality is the decisions have been made. They're in the NFL now. And so now we've all got to move forward. And then that's, that's where the, the draft ended for Ohio state. Uh, we, you know, we thought maybe guys like Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister might sneak in late in the draft was not the case though. Uh, both of those guys going to Cleveland alongside Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler, a big, uh, Buckeyes Hall for the Browns. I know that was kind of a, a point of discussion in the past in our Slack channel, Dan, where uh, you know the Bengals have obviously stocked up on on Buckeyes in, in recent years. Uh, maybe not so much for the Browns. Now they've they certainly got a bit of a haul there. Uh, you know, with a lot alongside the likes of Denzel Ward and, and Tommy Togiai as well. Other than that, Dan, uh, anything surprise you about you know the the undrafted free agent signings, guys not getting picked, uh, where guys are headed, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, nothing was really shocking. I mean, I, I thought Ronnie Hickman would be drafted, but, you know, a lot of the projections were late round picks. And so the difference between a six round pick and an undrafted free agent really isn't that much. So it's not shocking to me that he went undrafted. Um, you know, certainly will be interesting to see there of him and Tanner McAllister. I mean, they might realistically be competing for one roster spot there in Cleveland as safeties who both sign up the same teams if undrafted free agents so it'll be interesting to see if one of them can make it i mean i would say just in terms of the undrafted free agents i mean probably the thing that surprised me most is that teron vincent didn't even get a contract i mean he 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 got a mini camp invitation to the buffalo bills but that doesn't guarantee anything i don't know that i would have pegged that jaron cage would get a contract and teron vincent wouldn't so I'm a little bit surprised that Teron Vincent, you know, has outlanded a contract with a team. Um, you know, I did think, you know, Mitch Rossi was somebody who would get picked up. And as of Tuesday afternoon, that hasn't happened yet either. So a couple surprises there, but nothing shocking. And so, Dan, uh, as it ends up, I know you wrote a, a little piece about Ohio State having uh, six total draft picks with only one defensive draft pick for two years in a row. Um, I think, obviously, you can uh, point to the the success of the Ohio State offense in recent years and relative lack of success for the defense and how that kind of reflects in the draft picks uh, and maybe the the talent and, and, and you know, maybe development overall of the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, to have only two defensive players drafted in two years is certainly not what Ohio State wants to see. It certainly uh, does not, you know, live up to the historical standard at Ohio State. And I think you know, that is, if you're looking at why the defense has struggled the last few years, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why is Ohio State just hasn't had that star power. I mean, you look at the last, you know, defense, I think people would really consider a good defense for Ohio State, which was back in 2019. And they had two top three overall picks on that defense in Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. They had another first round pick in Damon Arnett. They had guys like Pete Werner and Jordan Fuller who have gone on to be productive players in the NFL. And so I think 
you know, re- realistically, the defense just hasn't had as much NFL talent over the last couple of years. And, you know, that's been reflected, you know, both in the draft and in the defense's performance. Dan, let's look ahead to the 2024 potential draft class for Ohio State because it seems like it could be quite a loaded one. Uh, certainly, even this, even over the weekend, Dan, there was a ton of talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, at the 2023 draft, he, him looking like, you know, potentially a top three pick even uh, next season, assuming all goes well for him this year. But plenty of other guys as well, Dan. Uh, lots of uh, guys, you know, draft eligible juniors that are going to come out and potentially be big time draft prospects. And you think about guys like JT, uh, Emeka Buka, Denzel Burke, Donovan Jackson, uh, Travion Henderson, uh, Mike Hall, uh, a ton of guys, J- Jack Sawyer in that group as well. I know there was there was one uh, mock draft. Dan, that that we were talking about uh, that had eight Ohio State players going in the first round of the draft. Some of those guys, though, that that included, you know, guys like Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, uh, even Jack Sawyer, JT. I mean, I I certainly think that that some of those guys we're going to have to see, um, you know, some kind of leap or just really productive year for that to actually take place. I don't think if things are just status quo uh, that we're going to see that many guys go in the first round. Yeah, I think projecting eight first round picks is a little silly. I mean, no school has ever had more than six. So uh, I, I think projecting eight first round picks uh, is definitely an overly optimistic projection. But I do think it's realistic to think that Ohio State could have one of its best draft classes ever in 2024. I mean, all those names you just mentioned, a lot of that stems from the fact that Ohio State's 2021 class has been really good so far. They've got a lot of really good players going into their third year in that class. And a lot of those guys are going to be draft eligible for the first time next year. And so, you know, if those guys, a lot of those guys enter the draft after their third year at Ohio State, that's a lot of guys who could potentially be early round picks. And then, you know, you look at, you know, four, fifth, even six year guys as well. And you got guys like Mayan Williams, Kate Stover, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Lathan Ransom, Julian Fleming, Xavier Johnson, and even guys like Ty Hamilton, you know, Matt Jones, you know, Josh Proctor, if he has a big year. Jahad Carter, if he has a big year, there, there's a lot of guys there. This, this is a this is a roster for Ohio State this year in terms of a starting lineup. It's going to be very upperclassman heavy, and so basically everybody who's out there in a the starting lineup for the most part is going to be guys who are draft eligible players. Which means uh, there's going to be a lot of players on NFL scouts' radar for them to watch this year. And so uh, you know Ohio State's record for overall draft picks is 14. I, I don't think it's far-fetched that Ohio State could challenge that record next year. Now, with that being said, I do think that a lot of times when we when we talk about these this early draft projections a year out, I, I think they can tend to be overly optimistic. Um, you know, some of these guys we talked about, some of them will come back for another year at Ohio State. You know, because of this extra year of eligibility Ohio State has, there's only four scholarship players on Ohio State right now that are going to run out of eligibility next year. One of them, Tristan Gebbia, isn't even expected to pursue an NFL career. So you've got Matt Jones, Josh Proctor, Xavier Johnson. Those are the only guys that are for sure gone from Ohio State after this year. Now, a lot of those names we just mentioned, I would expect to go pro and enter the NFL draft too. But not all of them will. And like you said, Griffin, there's a lot of guys in there when we talk about those projected early round picks that are... They have we we've seen they have the potential to be 
first round picks, early round picks. There's still a lot we have to see from them. Like a Mike Hall, for example. I mean, when he was at his best last year, you could absolutely see, hey, this is a guy who could be a top 10 draft pick. But, you know, he had seven tackles for loss in the first six games of a year. He didn't have another one the rest of the year. So he's got to show he can play a full season. You know, he had a shoulder injury last year. He didn't really play at all as a freshman. So he's got to show he can produce like that over the course of a full season. He's got to show he can be an every down player after he basically became a third down specialist in the second half of last year. So that's just one example. I mean, a guy, you know, a guy like Denzel Burke, I'm higher on Denzel Burke than a lot of people. I know there's some people who would say Denzel Burke shouldn't even get drafted with how he played last year. <laughs> I right now, I would predict Denzel Burke to be a first round pick. I, I, I think Denzel Burke has that kind of talent. I think if he puts together the kind of year he can put together, I would pick Denzel Burke to be a first round pick next year. But that's all contingent on Denzel Burke having the kind of year I think he's capable of. You know, he did not play like a first round pick last year. He has to play at that level this year. You know, JT Tuomolowau, I would pick him to be an early first round pick, but he had four sacks last season. So he he has to produce at a higher level. I mean, you, you mean he, he has to, we saw how dominant he could be against Penn State, but we got to see that kind of production more consistently over the course of an entire season for him to be a first round pick. And so, you know, I think when you really project it out to next year, right now, if I was predicting right now, I would predict five first round picks for Ohio State. I would predict Marvin Harrison Jr., JT Tuomolowau, Emeka Buka, Denzel Burke, and Mike Hall. But and Marvin Harrison Jr. is really the only one of those guys that's a lock right now to be a first round pick. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., I think he's gonna be a top five pick next year. I mean, he's he's that good. He he's that good that depending on how the board falls, there's a chance he could be the first receiver since Keyshawn Johnson to be the number one overall pick. He's that good. You know. I think Omeka Buka will be a first round pick next year. I'm not, I don't think that's a total lock, but I, 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 I would be surprised right now if he wasn't a first round pick next year. You know, I think those defensive guys I just named, they all have the talent, but they still have more to prove. And I think that's true for a lot of guys, whether that's a, a Travion Henderson, whether that's, you know, a, a Jack Sawyer, or whether that's, you know, I mean, again, I mean, a Kyle McCord, you can't count on a Kyle McCord. We saw Dwayne Haskins back in 2018 become a first round pick in one year so you can't count on a guy like that but there's a lot of guys that we're talking about having potential to be high nfl draft picks next year but it's potential it's not based on what they've done so far it's based on what we think they can do this year and so certainly come january we're going to have to really revisit all this and see how how much of this actually was realistic but the potential is certainly there for Ohio State to have one of its best NFL draft classes ever next year. Yeah, plen- plenty of veteran guys too who you know could have could have come out into the draft and, and tried to get picked. Uh, you know, this past year, even you think about guys like a Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Lathan Ransom, uh, guys like Cade Stover, even a Mayan Williams. Uh, you know, lots of guys that could go. You know, maybe not in the first round, but you know, at some point and to to bolster you know what could be a, a really stacked draft class for Ohio State. I think the thing that's interesting is we're talking about how loaded Ohio State's draft class for next year could be. And yet, I think we also feel like less confident that this Ohio State team is a college football playoff team than we have in past years. And that's kind of an odd dichotomy, but I think that speaks to how important quarterback play is 
how important offensive line play is and the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty at those two positions. I think outside of those two positions, I think Ohio State has the best roster in college football next year. I mean, I think I think Ohio State is loaded with talent, but you know, there's three big questions with this team. It's how good is the new starting quarterback going to be? It's how good is the offensive line going to be? And we know we have a lot of talent on defense, but is all that talent on defense going to coalesce and come together and be able to play at an elite level, which we just haven't seen in a few years. So I think we talk about it. I mean, again, you talk about all that talent. This is a team that has national championship potential. I think that's underscored by what we're talking about here in terms of all the high draft picks Ohio State could have. But I think those three big questions that I just talked about are why, even with all that talent, I I think there's probably more trepidation for Ohio State fans going into this season than there has been in a while. Yeah, I mean, just think about the the, the top prospect in that group, right? I mean, Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. is a wide receiver. If you've got problems at the quarterback position and the offensive line, it's going to be a lot harder to get the ball into his hands. So, I mean, that just kind of illustrates uh, some of that dynamic as well. But I, I completely agree with that uh, that concept, Dan. Well, we will have a lot of time to look forward to the 2023 season here over the next four months. As uh, We are really in the throes of the offseason now with spring football over, NFL draft over. Uh, we will you know, really be you know, looking ahead to that 2023 season a lot here over the next few months. Uh, but uh, Griffin, you will be on vacation next week. And so we will miss you. Uh, but I will be here with a, a co-host to be named later uh, for next week's episode. So, you know, if there's anything you guys really want to hear about, let us know. Um, you know, we're always looking for uh, creative ideas here now that we're really in the midst of the off season. So if there's anything you guys really want to hear about, let us know and we'll be sure to talk about it. And uh, I'll be back next week. Griffin, enjoy your vacation. and. Uh, you'll be back in a couple weeks uh, when I'm on vacation. Yes, we'll, we'll be playing musical chairs a little bit here on the podcast, but uh, we'll we'll hold it down for you guys nonetheless. <laughs>